0: What's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective brought to you by Heavy On Sports. I'm your host Adam Taylor. As usual, I'm joined by cap guru, NBA genius, one of my closest friends in basketball, Mr. Keith Smith. Keith, man, it's a great Friday. If you can hear snoring in the background, it's my dog. He's decided to perch up underneath where my mic's set up and I ain't moving him because that's just going to cause all sorts of trouble.
1: How (laughs) you doing, man? I'm good man if you hear some snoring and do you look up and my eyes are closed it's cuz I'm uh, I'm working on the Adam Taylor schedule sleep schedule tonight today with only a couple hours I, uh, I as I was telling you before we started recording I just I, I couldn't like to like calm my mind down after that game uh game, game six which we're obviously gonna spend a lot of time getting into and then we'll talk some game seven but yeah man i uh you know but but I'm, I'm as a, i am as don't know i'll say bright-eyed and bushy-tailed but but i'm i'm here and i'm awake and i'm happy so i'll take it it's a, it's a good way to start a friday
0: i'm on my fifth coffee <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those days man i woke up to watch the game live Um, I had some post-game stuff to take care of afterwards. And then, you know, by then, there's no point going to sleep no <laughs> um so Adam, you i kind don't of do just
1: hot drinks but that's how much of the big iced coffee i've left for mcdonald's this morning yeah so. you see now, ice iced right coffee here.
0: makes perfect sense when you live in florida right True. It, yeah I, but even makes- when i was
1: in and when even when i was a new england kid growing up south of boston like people drink iced coffee all winter long there it seems like a crazy thing where it's you know 15 degrees and you stroll out of dunkin donuts with your iced coffee but for me i just i, I don't like hot drinks like i don't know really what it is i just don't enjoy them so. I
0: blame English culture for my love of hot drinks. I <laughs> yeah. blame the culture. Tea fixes everything.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> I this has been what Adam and Keith's it. Beverage Podcast. I hope everybody <laughs> enjoyed it. And, you know, we'll, we'll see you next time. We'll discuss I mean, uh, you know, what kind of sodas we enjoy. <laughs> Dr. Pepper? Yeah, yeah, me too. Diet Dr. Pepper, though. But yeah, I mean
0: I, I refuse to drink the diet drinks because it's still bad for you. So I'd rather oh, yeah. just go I'd rather just go hard. Look, just give me the full I, fat.
1: It's for me, it's on it's not anything about trying. I mean, I'm obviously not in great shape, so it's not about that. It's too sweet for me if I don't go with like the diet version. So I but yeah, all right, all right, let's talk basketball before everybody shuts this thing off.
0: No one's shutting it off. They <laughs> want to know these things, these are the important aspects, the yeah, right? It's why you have coke floats, coke floats are important aspects, Good right? Point. <laughs> So let's talk basketball. Let's talk about how the Boston Celtics somehow miraculously against all odds against their own performance for the majority of the game <laughs> somehow managed to force a game seven. Right. And I, I want to start with Marcus Smart because I yeah. think that's a really good place to start. Yep. Um, arguably, I saw I think it was Kevin O'Connor tweet this out. I think arguably top three game of his career in terms yep. of there in terms of true. control. Uh, shot selection, ability to run the offense, ability to rally the troops on defense. And it started with that steal, right? A few minutes into the game, steals the ball away from Joel bead forces that fast break opportunity. And Marcus Smart just kind of grew in influence from that point on. There's been talk over the last couple of weeks as the Celtics have stuttered. I won't say struggled, stuttered seems to be the better word there. That this could be Marcus, this could be you know Marcus Smart's last tenure with the Celtics, and we hear this every time the Celtics play bad. There's always a vocal anti-Marcus Smart crowd for mm-hmm. school watchers. But this game felt like a hey, I might be getting older. Next year might be my what is it, age 31 season, but um, I can still control the game, and I'm still your star, your leading point guard. I wouldn't say star point guard, but your leading point guard. So I just want to get your thoughts on on his performance in the game, how much you valued what he was doing, and how much value you thought that brought to the rotation overall.
1: Yeah, I'm going to expand a little bit on what you said with the start of the game. He hit his first shot on a kickout pass. He had the steal. He had another three that he hit early, and then he had another steal at the beginning part of the second quarter where he broke up like a um, – it wasn't exactly a lob to Paul Reed but like that's like what it functioned as and he broke that up and stole that ball away and i think when smart is making those kind of plays all over the place like that's when he's at his best now to be fair just cuz Someone will jump all over. Yeah, he had some insane turnovers <laughs> where he tried things where it's like, what are you doing? Um, but for the most part, man, he was he was in control. I thought he did a good job of pushing pace when they really needed to pick it up. thought he did a good job of pushing it up the floor, but then pulling it back out, circling around. He had a play like that where he pulled it back out, circled around, got it to Jason Tatum. Tatum drove and kicked, I think it was to Malcolm Brogdon. Um, so it was just – I thought Smart had a real – good sense of what they needed in almost every moment throughout the course of the game and it's just it's one of those things where you know you we too often we take for granted how good he is even beyond all the Marcus Smart of it all right like we all love the You know, crazy plays where he takes a charge or he goes flying, you know, six rows deep into the stands to save a ball, or, you know, got players trying to walk it up and smart makes one of those Cobra strike steals and all the things that we all love. And that's all true. But even when you remove those things, he's still a pretty good basketball player, right? He's really grown into a good point guard who just, He doesn't necessarily pile up assists because that's that's not what point guards do anymore. You know, the NBA, I grew up on, everything ran through the point guard for the most part, and they piled up, you know, eight, nine, ten assists per game. That's not really how the game works anymore, but that doesn't mean he's not the one running and setting the offense. And I thought he did a great job of that in this one and helped set the tone defensively. He was super engaged defensively with the lineup change, right? He had to. Take on more of uh, the Tyrese Maxi assignment, and Maxi had a nice game. But I thought Smart did did things at times to make life a little difficult on him as well. You uh, obviously switched on to beat and Harden and Harris at times and held up. So yeah, wonderful all around game for him.
0: I think that one thing we overlook with Smart as well is the impact he has on shots not being taken, same as Rob Williams. Does you it's very easy to count matchup stats where how many points did you hold a player to? What did they shoot when you were guarding them? But how many times did a player pass because they didn't want to have to try and get past you or they didn't want to yep. shoot with your hand in their face? And that's an area that Marcus Smart does a really great job of. And I like to I kind of coin it shot denial. We have pass denial, it's a shot denial. He gets in the way, he kind <clears> of hugs <throat> up, you he makes he's swiping down, so you don't really want to rise up because you know those cobra strike steals are there. And he had that type of game where he was just everywhere. He, his foot and fingerprint. I was going to say his foot was everywhere. His fingerprints were all <laughs> over the game. Now, yeah. before we move on, I don't think we can finish talking about Marcus Smart without addressing the comment that he made that was took out of context by a lot of people where he was like, Joe, you know, he's he's learning on the job. He, he had a great made a great adjustment. He's been killed for some things and rightfully so. I like that. I like that. We talk about coaches holding players accountable. I like that Marcus Smart is confident enough. He has enough cachet within the locker room to be capable of holding the the coach accountable as well. I think that's a good dynamic to have. I just wanted your thoughts there because I saw some people like, oh man, Marcus Smart shouldn't have said that. But anyone who thought that just didn't listen to the entire quote or the, the tone of voice to really understand the context that was involved.
1: Yeah, it felt like people went into those collection of comments looking for reason to say see the Celtics players don't you know that they're out on Missoula or whatever it may be and I didn't take any of those that way I thought it was more like yeah man like he made a great adjustment like we have his back and you know we're excited to see him you know hey we're gonna try something different so I think I I, I'm with you I think it was a good thing too I, I don't have any issue with it at all and I know some people took it as too like this guy's still learning like it's the playoffs well guess what it's still his first year like you know i go all the way back to jason tatum you know played in a game 7 against lebron james in uh you know his rookie season he threw down a monster dunk on lebron to give the celtics the lead and i'm guessing tatum probably would not uh chest you know throw his chest into lebron uh now right or if he could rewind it cuz then lebron came back and obviously just did what he does, right, and destroyed the Celtics uh, late in that game. So I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, players learn, so can coaches, right, and Missoula's figuring it out, and he's learning, and, you know, credit to Missoula too, I think. of uh, He really did a lot of stuff in this game where it was, you know, changed the, the lineup he changes his rotation quite a bit they even changed some coverage and scheme stuff he took some time out i i thought you know all around you know he coached a really good game so no issues at all from me with what smart said
0: and just to get a bit more philosophical in terms of actual life the day you believe you've learned everything you need to learn is the day where you're going to have a big hard fall. Yeah. something around the corner will throw a curveball and you'll be like man i should have kept trying to evolve so I get, oh, he's still learning. It's the playoffs. Well, he's I'm pretty sure if you ask Greg Popovich, he'd be like, I'm still learning in year a million and five. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, you have to keep evolving and learning because the game evolves and changes every year, whether it be a small detail or a big detail. This time around, it's going to be the CBA. So it'll be more how rosters are built. is going to be a whole new learning curve for a lot of people. But moving on, we we, we mentioned Joe Mazzulla's adjustments. The major one. I think that if you'd watched the game, you obviously caught that quite quickly was going back to the double big lineup. And the one thing that really stands out to me is when you look at the final score, neither, t- neither team went above hundred. This felt like a Boston Celtics, 2022 NBA finals run team in yeah. that. It was a low scoring affair. It was a gritty grind it out. win where, you know, you overcome a bad shooting night from one of your superstars, you overcome a mediocre shooting night from your other old NBA guy. But you do it mainly on the defensive end. You do it through fighting on every possession, clawing your way through. And as much as you say you want to keep pushing forward and evolving, reverting back to that type of game plan is probably the best thing you could have done after your defense has failed to kind of contain Harden for a few games this series. I just want to see what you thought of that actual adjustment. Did you see anything where you're more confident with them running that in game seven? Or do you think Missoula goes back to the single big five-out pace and space lineup?
1: No, I I mean, if for no other reason, the fact that it worked and got a win, he'll stick with it, right? He'll run it back with uh, Rob in the starting group. Now, to be fair, because they only played Rob and Al, Grant didn't get any time. None of the other bigs got any time, as they haven't for most of the series. He basically ran quite a bit of single big lineups too. And I think that got missed a little bit by some folks. Yeah, you opened one way, but then they went different. And look what he went to when they got to, what was it, about two and a half, three minutes left. He went back to small, right? He went back to the smaller lineup. Now, part of that was Philly went extremely small. And I think now what we'll see is if PJ Tucker is not making shots, and more importantly, not taking shots, which he he hit a couple, but then he had a few record scratches and it got a little messy and on um, that. I wonder if Doc goes back to George Niang again, who has played pretty well in this series. Then that becomes then Missoula has to am I gonna stay with this, or do I need to do I need to counter myself? It's not that Rob can't guard George Niang. It's just Rob can't float off him the way you're a little bit more comfortable with him floating off Tucker. I thought the Celtics game plan was, Rob's going to float off Tucker and he's going to be the designated helper. Whether that's the designated doubler on Embiid or if the guards get inside, Rob's the guy who comes over. And we saw it multiple times. To kind of your point about Marcus Smart and shot denial, Rob obviously came and denied, you know, deterred, altered, whatever it is at the rim several different times uh, in this game. There's a couple of plays where Maxi threw up floaters from maybe 12 feet out instead of getting to eight to 10 feet because Rob was lurking um so i think what happens is their approach was if we go down because pj tucker hits seven three-pointers we'll tip our cap and say good on you good luck in the East finals right like it's just you, you got to pick your poison when you get to this point in the season these teams are so good and they're so good at what they do you just can't take everything away and you have to kind of decide what what can we live with most here and for this one it was we're going to live with this because i think they wanted to keep It was funny. The number of people were like, yeah, Rob's going to guard Embiid. And I was like, no, he's that's that's not – yeah, possessions, of course. But, like, primary matchup, no way. Like, Embiid eats him up every time just because – and he got him on one where Rob. Rob went up on a three-point shot, and Embiid went right down the lane. And I can't remember if he scored or set somebody up or whatever it was. And it's like, Embiid's just got too many tricks. Or, you know, Rob just likes to get up in the air. So it's – but his size as the designated helper was so huge, um, you know, in athleticism. Plus, he cleaned up the rebounding quite a bit, Philly only had six offensive rebounds in a game where they shot terribly. And I believe if if I have this right, three, it was either three or four. I'd have to go back and pull my notes and I won't do it right now. One doesn't make a difference, but it was either three or four were long offensive rebounds off missed three pointers where like they're just there wasn't a Celtic in the picture cause it just went so far away from where anybody would have reasonably been. Those are the ones you just kind of like, eh, it is what it is on those. I'm not going to, you know, kill myself over those ones. It's the ones where it's like ball falls off the rim and no one's there. No one blocks out. Those are the killers. So, and they didn't really have very many of those. So I think, yeah, you stick with it, you run it again next game, but you have to be willing to very quickly in game seven, becomes very much it's like the chess match within the chat it's like if if in the game of chess if you're playing like chess but then there's like a little corner of the board where you're almost playing like a whole other game right and maybe that's a really bad example because i don't think chess really works that way but it would almost be like that where it is like that other game you have to be very willing to change quickly you can't it's a very fine line between ride it out versus all right, this isn't working now. I got to adjust off it because if you go one way or the other too too early you change or you change too late that can be the difference in losing a game 7.
0: So here's an adjustment that I was expecting to see and we didn't. And I kind of brought this up on the on a post game stream I did yesterday for um Bleacher Report where you've got your seven man lineup and one of my friends, you know him Greg Menakes was like, "Well, it's seven starters, it's seven talented players good enough to sure. be starters." My argument was I understood completely when there's a double big lineup, Tatum slides down to the three. If he's having a bad game, there's no depth there unless you slide Jalen up. There's no depth there to kind of rotate Jason back out of the game. When you run a single big, Tatum slides up to the four. He's struggling. I thought that was when I'd expect to see Grant Williams. Maybe you go eight deep. We didn't see that. Mizzouli trusted that seven-man rotation, those seven starters. I just want to get your thoughts, and we'll, we'll go into Tatum's game in a moment, but it's just specifically on trusting him in that moment when the shot isn't falling, when it's arguably one of the worst nights of his career before we get to that fourth quarter, and not putting Grant Williams in there to kind of give you the floor spacing and hopefully some shot making to keep you in the game. Did, was you How was you feeling up until that fourth quarter? Do you think that was a missed opportunity, or did you understand the process?
1: I got it because I think... When you get to kind of late in the third, early in the fourth quarter, right? The first half of these games are just, they're over in a blank, right? And it's just, you know, you you don't have time to really get into a lot of different stuff other than what you do beyond, all right, we're going to counter this because they change this right away. In this case with Tatum was, I think it was Joe Mazzulla basically saying, hey, I can put Grant Williams in. I could throw Sam Hauser on the floor for a couple minutes. I could go to even Peyton Pritchard and play really super small. But I think for him it was all of those are – maybe they work, but maybe Tatum starts making shots too. And I'm just going to trust that maybe Tatum starts making shots too more. And I'm never going to fault the coach for saying, hey, he's our star guy. I'm going down. You know, if this ship's going down – we're going down together. Me and him right here at the helm. And that's going to be how it is, right? We're going to go down with this guy making, you know, you do, either he figures it out or he doesn't. And that's what it is because I don't know that you, more often than not, you you trust that they will, right? You're going to trust. Like, they will get it figured out. And I am going to, you'll know, feel okay about it. So that, that's kind of where I'm at with that one.
0: And he did. He figured it out in that fourth quarter. So let's move on to that. The guy that after the game humbly and i repeat humbly said he was one of the best basketball players in the world is so it was, really yeah.
1: humble if you're like, like <laughs> that, that that's almost like the no offense but followed by something wildly offensive like <laughs> you know humbly like you know okay All right, well, but I get it. Like, I get it. it. I'm
0: humbly (laughs) one of the best out of billions of people that walk around this big floating rock in the middle of nowhere, or as Corey (laughs) Irving would tell you, on the back of a giant space tortoise or turtle. (laughs) Um, I am top 15 out of a seven billion people, but I'm telling you humbly, so it's okay. But anyway, (laughs) I just (laughs) thought it was such a good comment. I really look because I'm here for that type of confidence, I think you need that. Um, I think you don't get you to this ex- point, no. if you don't have it, right? Yeah. That's you don't excel in anything yeah. in life without that level of confidence, whatever yeah. it is you do. Um so I'm, i I really appreciated that comment from him, but coming into the fourth quarter, I was like, man, this is such a bad look on Tatum after laying that goose egg in the in the NBA Finals last season, and then you know if the, if the Celtics go down in this game and it's because Tatum couldn't figure it out, then that that narrative is gonna follow him around for years and it's going to be really hard for him to overcome. And, you know, so I was kind of concerned, but then he turns it on, right? You see that one fall, and anyone that's watched the Celtics over the last few years, you know that one. And then uh, Scalabrini says it after every game, he only needs one. Um, You see it fall, and straight away, the whole rhythm, his whole demeanor, his body language changes, and then he literally wills you to a win, almost single-handedly. What did, like, I don't even need to ask what you saw because we all saw it. I just want to know, like, what your emotional process was as this was happening. And all of a sudden, this guy that, I mean, you've admitted Tatum's arguably your favorite player in the league. Mm-hmm. He's, he's my favorite player in the league. So you're riding this emotional roller coaster with him. How was that kind of relief moment when he starts just figuring stuff out and dropping 16 points in the fourth?
1: Yeah. I, so I started out. Early in the game, and I it's funny because I put a tweet up where it's like he's literally playing amazing, he's been great in everything except he can't make shots. And then there was a point in the third quarter where I'm like, it was the play where George Niang kind of locked him up, and I was like, All right, if you can't get by George Niang off the bounce, like maybe something's like actually wrong. And I was like, You you, you might need to sit him, and this is why I'm not the coach of the Celtics. Um, but when he got that ball, it was a um, you know play where Smart and Brown ran like a like kind of improvised pick and roll, and then it swung to Tatum in the corner as Embiid closed out on him, and he took a half jab step which rocked Embiid back, and then right into the jumper. And I love when he gets a no no dribble jump shot to fall. It's like okay, here it comes, and I knew. The minute he started that dribble series against Tyrese Maxey, he went quick right into, and I was like, he's going right to that, just above the break spot on the right side of the floor. And if Maxi stays up too much, he's gonna go by him, and he's gonna you know try to finish inside. I said, but then Maxi, he got Maxi rocking backwards, and he took that. It's that almost like exaggerated long step back, right where he's at like twenty feet, and then he finishes at like twenty five feet because he steps back so far, and and it was like. Yard, he's He's got it now. Now he's kind of figured it out. And then you know, he hit two more big ones, you know, down the stretch there, including kind of the dagger that really finished Philly off um, you know, late. But it, it it was one of those things where it's like you you when you follow it so closely and I have I, I've never missed a game this guy's played. Right. I've seen every game he's played his entire career with the Celtics you you start to feel an attachment where it's like it's it's killing you that like he's going through this and then you know when he starts making him you can't help but get a little emotional and like and it was like for me it was like hell yeah like here we are like he's he, he he's got it right he's figuring it out and you could just kind of see and it wasn't when he made that first one too he didn't have that look of like finally and we've seen that sometimes in games where like he misses a bunch and gets one to fall and he's like Finally it fell. He had the look of like let's go. like now I'm here, I'm ready. like I figured out the range or whatever it was. you know here we go. and that that's that just that's one of my favorite things about this game because basketball is a wonderful, wonderful team game with cool moments of individual brilliance inside of that team game. And that's what I like about it more than some of the other sports where like baseball is very much, it's not that it's not a team game, but it's very much individual battles, right? It's a series of individual battles. Uh, football is the other way, right? There, there can be complete individual brilliance, but it's individual brilliance within the framework of, you know, what the team is doing where basketball, there are times you can completely step away from it. And I, don't, I know we don't all love the like, oh man, we went ISO 900 times and, you know, 40 million dribbles and you'll know, launch shots, but sometimes that's what it's called for. And that's what that maxi shot was. That was just Tatum getting the ball and being like everybody, everybody else could have walked off the court and said, me and Maxi are playing one-on-one here because I'm not giving it up. Like I'm taking this shot no matter what happens. And, and that was pretty cool to see for a guy who at that point was like, what, like two of like, like, uh, like 13 or something in that range. was so something in that range. So he look had shot so poorly
0: slow. So I, I mean, look, if we look back, it's been three games now where he's had these struggles to start the game. Yeah. And if we're being fair, those struggles have kind of first, it was a half, then it was halfway through the third where Tatum comes alive. Now we're waiting till the fourth. So <laughs> those struggles are stretching gradually towards being a full game. And I'm just, are you concerned about that heading back to the TD garden? on a potential potential early game, depending on what happens with the Lakers. I'm praying for today only, and don't shoot me for this. I live far away with a different time zone. For today only, I am a Lakers fan. I need the Lakers to win so we get the 3.30 Celtics game and I can actually have a normal day. Um, <laughs> so please, uh, please, LeBron. Um, don't think I've ever said that in my life. But are you concerned about the struggles that could be Hey, we kind of can't have Tatum do this again, and hope that we still figure it out.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I I think there's something I in his head when he drives right now. Like it, and it's even it, it is definitely a lot of Embiid. But it's even some of the plays when he drives when he, Embiid's not in. Like he just doesn't. He he's trying to avoid. Um, The block too much versus Like like the difference between him and Jalen Brown is I think Jalen Brown could honestly Drive a hundred times get blocked On 99 of them and he's still going up Strong on the hundred like that's just That's just who he is right like It doesn't matter to him like it's that's how He plays I'm getting all the way to the cup And that's not to say he Jalen's One of his biggest improvements has Been he doesn't force it now As often but he just there's just Never an adjustment from a All right, I'm going to swoop and try to get around the guy and all these things to avoid a block where Tatum doesn't always go in quite as strong, right? There are times when Tatum goes in there and then he floats or he's content to very much content to kick it out. So I think there is something going on there, at least a little bit for him. But I think a lot of it is the shots just aren't falling. Like it's very weird. Like, I mean, he missed over the last three games. I'm going to guess somewhere in the range of 10 open to wide open shots where like the defender didn't impact really any he's so big and he's so long and he gets up on his jump shot that it's just his release point is very hard to affect um for for most defenders because he just doesn't see them by the time he's at the top of his release so i think it's just they're just not going in so i don't know that it's like philly has found a magic Thing or anything like that, and they've they found, like, all right, this is how you shut Jason Tatum down or anything like that. I think he's just been missing shots. And the reality is a three-game slump, that's not uncommon, right? Like, that happens to everybody. And history tells us when he generally breaks out of a slump, he breaks out of it in a major, major way. Now, I don't know that that's going to happen in game seven. We'll see. You know, he's gone through five, six, seven, eight-game slumps before. So, so I, I really don't know, but I do think the driving part of it is a little tough because what he's not getting is there's always that like get him the easy one, right? Like get him downhill for a layup, let him get on the board, feel good that he saw the ball go through the net, let him get get himself to the free throw line a little and we'll go. And we did see a little bit of that at the beginning of the fourth quarter when Embiid sat. They ran a couple plays where it's all right, let's get it to Tatum down low on the inside and go when he got himself to the free throw line early. You know, maybe that is part of what it was. You know, just sometimes you gotta see it go through. So I, but for the most part, it's you know, people keep saying, "Well, Missoula's gonna draw something up to get him an easy shot early in the game." Well, he's done it a couple times, and he's just not made them. So then it becomes almost like, "Man, now they're trying to get me going, and I can't." So I'm not overly worried because I just think it's just a slump. But you know, we'll see. Maybe maybe Game Six was a sign of like. All right, we've got one of those, you know, uh, you know, seven three-point nights coming, and or seven three-pointers nights coming, and you know he shoots, you know, fifteen of twenty-one, and you know has, you know, forty-plus points, pushing fifty, and you know the Celtics look great. but well, we'll see. I'm
0: not making excuses for him, and I don't want anyone to comment me saying I am. But do you think there's a possibility the wrist is affecting him? We know it's been affecting him through the regular season. Personally, I'm kind of expecting a surgery in the off-season. Do you think that, you know, maybe he's took some hard block Because he did have, he did get blocked quite hard earlier on in the series. And since then, he seems to have become more tentative when going downhill. So do you think the risk could be playing at least a factor in avoiding that contact?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I am in a, how do I say this? I, I, I hate to speculate that that's what it is just because I don't, Like, I don't have enough of the details on it to know know, is what what it is, and there's nothing that seems glaringly like, like, if you told me Joel Embiid whenever the Sixers season ends is going to have to have a knee procedure, like, yeah, okay, sure. Like, I believe it. Like, there's visibly times in these games where he is hobbling and dragging himself up and down the floor, just like Rob Williams last season, right, in the playoffs where he's like, all right, he's playing, but – yeah, I can see Rob may need may need to get some work done here and go back under the knife. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll find out. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't shock me. I mean, the left wrist, we know he's been dealing with an issue with that for like two years now. It's part of why like I keep going back and forth on like play, if he should play in the World Cup this summer or not because part of me says... Yeah, man, play because you only have these opportunities so many times in a career to play for the national team. And obviously, right, I want team USA to win. So I want the best, you know, American-born players. There. I mean, it's crazy that in the top five of the MVP voting, he was the only American player, right? Every it was four, four internationals, which just tells you, you know, how much the game has grown, um, you know, worldwide and everything. That's also another reason why this is, you know, in my my mind, one of the best sports in the entire world. But I think, you know. Hey, I, I do see the value in, like, hey, maybe let's take a summer off, right? Because this dude hasn't stopped since the bubble, right? It's basically been thing after thing after thing for him where he just keeps playing everything. And it's, like, at some point, like, let's just, you know, you know, like we were talking off air about the beach a lot. You know, grab deuce, pack up the stuff, and go to the beach for a couple of weeks and just, you know, I don't even want you to do anything. You know, put your feet in the sand and just sit. You know, so yeah, but it wouldn't shock me at all if there's some kind of procedure that needs to be done, uh, this off season.
0: Yeah, and I like that's kind of where my head's at. Just even if it's not a driving factor in these struggles, maybe it's something that in the back of his mind is trying to protect, right? And again, I don't have any information. This is just me kind of reading between the lines over the last eighteen months. Moving on, I want to look at. We've kind of spent a long time talking about individual players. I think we can move on and look at game seven because otherwise we could be here for the next five hours. Um, I just want to kind of see where your head's at going into that game, regardless of what time it starts. One thing that's really stuck out to me is how they've struggled at home recently. And now you're in a position where you need to close it out. Jalen Brown kind of went around, went on air and was like, Hey, I'm just calling in a nice way. I'm calling the fans out. We need you to bring that energy. I think that was actually a really smart move because you want as much noise and as much animosity in the, like, civil. You don't want it to be, you know, there's a line you shouldn't cross. But you want that kind of atmosphere there to make the Sixers feel like there is a six man on the floor from all that. Making it difficult to hear each other, making it difficult to call out defensive coverage and that stuff. I just want to get your thoughts on how confident you are heading into that Game 7 back at the TD Garden.
1: Yeah, I feel good. And that's just history of Celtics and game sevens are, has been historically pretty good, especially at home. So there's there's that part of it. I think there is a chance just and I feel this way in every game seven. And we saw this last year in the game seven against Milwaukee. If you jump on a team early, it's the road team has a very hard time coming back because the reality is i think what happens is anytime the road team is down and not, and i'm not talking down a point or two but like down big um especially if it's early it's like man we're gonna put a ton of effort into trying to come back here and i just don't know and i think they just start thinking about vacation they start like thinking about like all right, you know, am I going to go? You've got some guys who maybe start thinking about, like, am I going to really kill myself here to try and make up a 20-point deficit when I've got free agency in, you know, a month and a half? Like, well, what am I going to do You know, if I get hurt here trying to really push for that extra little bit? And that's not a Philadelphia-specific thing. I think that's any team. In a game, in a game seven scenario, really in a closeout scenario, but especially in a game seven on the road. So, yeah, I'm with you. Get going early. Get the crowd. (laughs) There's there's our Tatum in the back there. Uh, um, You know, get going early. Get get the crowd going. Get them fired up. You know, get get uh You know, try to get them down. Like get, get get end this thing early if you can right like that that's where you want to go kind of what it was against Milwaukee like try to turn it into a little party right in a celebration where everybody's feeling pretty good and not I'm not saying we're gonna throw Grant Williams in and let him take 19 three pointers again um you know I don't know that that's the secret adjustment to to make you know for game seven but you know hey if that's the way it goes then that's the way it goes
0: all I know is if I see Blake Griffin step on that floor something went perfectly right
1: yeah probably (laughs) yeah Yeah, because he rarely plays if things aren't
0: Going exactly, <laughs> so, yeah. he's the uh, he's the new taco, right? That new, that new victory cigar,
1: kind of, yeah. Except yeah I, I'm he's had far more moments of actual production than taco. Taco had that one game against the Wizards where it was like, oh, maybe there's something, and then you know, followed by months
0: up, know, up, in up, fairness, up. he's dominated in China, which is more than Noah I
1: could say. Hey, good for Ta- I mean, yeah. I like taco, I got to know taco when he played at UCF down the road here in Orlando. i, I He's a great kid. You know, great, great, great kid. So I'm happy. Yep. Hey, then my feeling on all these guys is hey, if you can make a living getting paid to play basketball, go. Like, get it done. Right? Like, why not? Right? That's, that's, just gotta be you know, one of the greatest feelings in the world. Okay.
0: So I think we should go on to prediction time. We can, yeah, we can do it. a prediction. I think, you know, we try to be as analytical as possible on this show, but let's throw that out the window, man. This is game seven we're talking about. So, let your let your heart lead the response. What is your game
1: seven prediction? Score line, biggest scorer, and most dominant player. I think the Celtics are going to jump on them early. They'll build a pretty big lead. Philly will make a run at some point, probably early in the third quarter. Uh, and by when I say Celtics jump on them early, I think they'll they'll get a lead that pushes twenty or more. I think Philly will make a run. They'll cut it down, and then I think you're going to see kind of a flurry from Tatum. Uh, where like it just kind of finishes them off and they don't have anything left and most of the fourth quarter is just kind of cruising on into the east finals that's what i feel like so i think you know scores are always a little hard like i think you know but do you think boston will figure it out enough to crack 100 again so i'll say something in the range of like 110 to like 95 maybe in that that range and i think and i think to your question about you know i think tatum is going to show up and have the big game. And I think he'll be, you know, show everybody like, Hey, this is why I am the first team all NBA guy and have a bunch of points and make a bunch of plays. And, and I think we might see Blake Griffin and Luke Cornette and all those guys by the end of the game, you know, and it's just, there, there, there's a chance, but you know, it all starts with defense, you know, to defend in, in energy, right? You cannot come into this one the way you started game five. You If they play like that, they're going to lose. That's just, the reality very simply like if you play the right way and play with energy it's something brad stevens used to say all the time right the ball finds energy right the game rewards playing the right way like just show up play the right way do your thing like and Get it done. Maybe maybe these guys just like they're like, okay, cool. Now we're finally at a point where if we lose, the season's over, and there's that's what it takes to lock in. I mean, that's absolutely terrifying if that's the case. But uh, maybe that's where they're at. But yeah, I feel I feel pretty good. I feel like Philly lost their chance uh, in Game Six. Like I just you know, and again, that's not even just a Philly thing. I think if you don't close out a home game in Game Six, you're going on the road like the Lakers tonight. Lakers better win it at home. Like you don't want to go the you know play the Warriors in the Bay Area and in a Game Seven like that that's a mess that's not going to go well for you so like get it done but Philly didn't and now I think Boston will
0: I'm gonna go Boston one twenty Philly one twelve I think it'll be close I think Philly will make a run when the Celtics pull their starters um, as you'd expect and then Joe gets panicked and puts everyone back in for like the last <laughs> minute um, because he's had he, he's he's got some trauma from pulling guys too early uh I'm i always wonder
1: which like it really feels like it, it's once that happens that you you pull everybody and then it's like never again will i pull starters like it's i played for a coach like that we, we blew an aau game once and sadly i was part of the lineup that blew the game um and then at the end i mean he'd be playing the starters and pressing up 30 points in the second half of games and like and the other teams and parents and everything would be yelling at him. We'd be like, I oh, know that. Remember that time? Like, we we screwed it all up. And then, you know, then he'd sprinkle us in there and we'd get in for the last couple minutes. But, and I, just in case anybody wants to know, I was very much the Peyton Pritchard. Like, I'd get, and it was going to, I was shooting it every time I touched it. Like I was gonna let it fly, man. I was like, I, I loved garbage time because it was like, here we go. Like, and there was no dribble the clock out. It was it's going like, up. Every oh yeah, time. It is, yeah. And it was barely in my hands before I was that thing was was getting up on the rim. Like I I love to shoot. Like that, that was that was my thing. So
0: but yeah. see, I'm jealous, man, because I had a coach that was the opposite way. Like he'd lose, he'd happily lose a game to prove a point. You know what I mean?
1: I played. I had a high school coach that was like that. We were. We probably could have rallied back and made it a close game, and he kind of left kids in and let us, like, really get beat. And it worked because then we were angry for, like, the next, like, three weeks and stuff. And I remember him telling me years later when I actually coached at the school under him, and I was like, I remember you did this because he done it to the team when I was coaching there with him. And he said uh, – he goes, yeah, he goes, part of it is he goes, you guys came back? He goes, I remember your class when you came back and you had the best game, you know, best practice the next day um, that we would had all season because like everybody was so angry and focused and ready to go. So See, I had a,
0: my, like my last coach before I got hurt, like I hated him. He hated me. Right. And, uh, because I was very much, a, uh, I was the primary ball handler. I was the high usage guy on the team. And this was back when, you know, English players weren't that great. So it weren't hard to be the high usage guy. You just had to train every day and you already had to <laughs> everybody else. And, um, I, I got into a game and I basically just kept driving and driving. And then do you remember the boomerang street ball move where you kind of put it behind the head and slap it up in yeah. the air? And then, yeah. So I did that in a game. And obviously I got called for a turnover and he benched me and he was like, you're not coming back in no matter what. <laughs> and uh, they lost. And I sat there on the, on the coach home, like coach, you should have put me back in. We would have won. And uh, he cut me from the team about a week later. <laughs> I was just like, okay, that's fair. Um, <laughs> But yeah, man, like sometimes being a coach must be so difficult because it's like you might be the the primary guy, but if your attitude's not right, I have to do what's worse for the team in the short term to be what's best for the team in the long term, right? I yeah, 100%. The when, it's the same yeah. when pulling guys. Oh, I've pulled the starters once. That's what's best for the team in the, sh- in the short term because they're getting rest. Oh, wait, we're losing games when I do this. So the long-term outlook has to take a hit to put guys back in i don't know how we got here but this is where we are so um (laughs) we'll wrap here we'll wrap my run of the story is don't put a boomerang move in the middle of a game you're gonna get called for a turnover your coach is gonna cut you then you know you kind of just don't play basketball
1: anymore um that's definitely true i we've all played with that kid who's awesome on the playground but then you get in a real game and it's like yeah I mean, That's yeah, I, mean, I was
0: averaging point. I think I was averaging like 16 8 and 4. So it wasn't <laughs> bad. Sure. But it it was just, you know, you see still cuttable at 16 8 and 4. I weren't dropping 50 25 and 17. So you Yeah, you,
1: you were better than me. I was uh, very cuttable my entire But you gotta understand
0: that the, the quality of opponent was lower. Sure. So you oh. know, it was probably about the same level. I in a different game.
1: life now, in a branch timeline, I'm gonna ask my parents to move to England when I when when I'm young, and I'll yeah, dominate. and then just
0: dominate, dude, just dominate. And that Lou Deng be... made it out. Jeremy Sochan <laughs> made it out. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think
1: those guys might be a little bit better than you or I. I I'm just guessing. Lou
0: Deng was I an absolute far. monster. He was two oh, years sure. older than me when yeah. he was playing. So I play I. I, when I was playing for Birmingham, we played against London, and I used to play in the age group above just because I was tall and big. And um, he just ways a few. No, he was a few age groups above. But anyway, he just destroyed the team. I didn't. I like I, they. I went and sat on the bench to watch the game, and it was just like, dude. Soon as he got the ball, there was nothing you could do.
1: Yeah. Whenever anybody gets a chance to play against, not even just NBA players, but a player plays high level professional. It's completely different. It's a completely different thing. I I used to play pickup with this guy. He played, and this was back in the 90s, but he had played six years in Italy, Italy's second, and then at the end in the first division, um, his team had gotten promoted. And this guy was so good. And people were like, why didn't you ever play in the NBA? And he's like, I'm not. He's like, it was never anywhere near good enough play in the nba and like that's how good this guy was And a handful of times i've gotten a chance to play and pick up runs with nba players it's just they're they're in a completely different world than you know everybody else that's why yeah
0: everybody just thinks hey i can score 20 down at the local run and shoot and you know and then it's like no man like i was always under the impression like people used to say to me no one understood really are you gonna play in the nba i'd be like i'd be lucky to play in like the third division of europe (laughs) Right. And if I could, I'd do that, right? Like sure. Because yeah. like, you're getting better, and even then, I wasn't yeah. that—I wasn't good enough for that. Like the, the level disparity is so yeah, crazy. It, yeah,
1: it's unbelievable. But so all crazy. right, we've we've gone way far off the rails. But
0: here. now everybody appreciates what they're watching that little bit more because we spoke about real is. life hoops. Right yeah. then, everybody will be back on Monday. Um, Talking about a win, I'm not even going to acknowledge the fact that there might not be a win. We're going to talk about a Game 7 victory, look ahead to the Miami Heat and how Joe Mazzullo has got his work cut out for him going up against Coach Spur. Love it. Until until then, Keith is going to bring you loads of salary cap stuff. So be on Twitter because there'll be lots of it. And I'll be ranting and raving about something somewhere. So you'll see me around too. Everybody, have a good weekend. Keith, as usual, thank you for joining me, good sir. And we'll catch everybody later.